MSW Media. Thanks to Aura Frames for supporting the Daily Beans. Aura Frames makes Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that beautifully showcase your photos and videos. To get $30 off the perfect holiday gift, visit AuraFrames.com slash Daily Beans and use promo code Daily Beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, December 7th, 2023. Today, the parties in the case to keep Trump off the ballot in Colorado under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment argued in front of the Colorado court today. Pence shows up on the Fulton County DA's witness list along with other prominent names. The six Trump electors in Nevada have been indicted after Ken Chesbrough cooperated in that investigation. An active shooter is found deceased in Nevada. Trump says he will be a dictator on day one if reelected. Four Russians have been indicted by the Department of Justice for war crimes. Kevin McCarthy is quitting Congress and witnesses have been called in the Matt Gates House Ethics Committee investigation. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. Day three with just me. Thank you for hanging in there while Dana takes a well-earned vacay. And thank you so much for all your notes of support for holding down the fort for you. Y'all are just too kind. I'm seriously humbled by all these wonderful messages that I'm getting about the shows this week. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I got a sneak peek of the refried beans episodes we're going to air this weekend, and they are awesome. I love these episodes. I hope that uh, you're enjoying the refried beans on the weekends. That is when we play reruns of episodes of the Daily Beans from the same week, either one, two, or three years ago, to see how far we've come. So I'm glad you're enjoying those. I've gotten nothing but positive feedback. So thank you. Also, no patron happy hour this Friday. It'll be Friday the 15th of December at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. And of course, I'm looking forward to our April Patreon annual party. Guests will include Glenn Kirshner, Pete Strzok, Andy McCabe, me, Officer Harry Dunn, Officer Danny Hodges. More will be added. It is April 20th in D.C., and we will send you the location in your patron email. And uh, the RSVPs have not gone out yet. There is a limited number of space. So not every single patron who wants to go is probably going to be able to go. I hate to say that. Well, maybe. Maybe there's only going to be a certain number of patrons who want to go to DC in April. And so maybe we'll have plenty of room. Um, but uh, given the response that we had to the Hey Adams gathering um, a few months back, I anticipate we'll probably fill this room. You can join up, by the way, if you if you are not a patron and you want to become one, you can either go to patreon.com slash wrote or you can check out Supercast. We also have uh, premium subscriptions, ad-free subscriptions, and Supercast. Just search for The Daily Beans. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. There was a lot of news today. But the first thing I want to cover is the hearing in Colorado to keep Trump off the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, this is a huge constitutional question, and it seems very simple to me. I mean, if Section 3 of the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to Donald Trump, I do not understand who it would apply to. Yet, somehow there are arguments from Trump's side that he is not an officer of the United States, that the Constitution purposefully left the president out of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, that his oath is to not to support the Constitution, but protect and 
uh, defend uh, and uphold, uh, which to me means support, and that's what they argued in court today. And they also wanted to argue that what happened on January 6th is not actually an insurrection. Now, the district court ruled that Trump did engage in insurrection and that what happened on January 6th was, in fact, an insurrection. But they said the district court ruled he was not subject to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment because the president is not an officer of the United States. And the president's oath, as I said, is to preserve, protect, and defend, not to support. Now, the district court says these arguments were close. This was a tie. But in a tie, the tie goes to the runner. So they ruled to keep Trump on the ballot. Now, the plaintiffs appealed to overturn the legal finding that Section 3 doesn't apply to presidents, that somehow it applies to everyone else except the highest office. Now, Trump appealed the district court's decision, arguing he didn't engage in an insurrection, and it wasn't an insurrection, but I should be kept off the bat. I don't qualify for Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I'm not an officer of the United States, even though I argued that I was an officer of the United States when I was trying to get the DOJ to sub in during the E. Jean Carroll case. I'm not an officer this time, but I am for that. That's that's his argument. Now, Trump's lawyer's arguments kind of fell apart in court today. Let's listen to Trump's attorney argue to the judge's faces that January 6th was not an insurrection. Why don't you focus, because your time is limited, on the one the district court adopted. And to, I mean, any public use of force or threat of force by a group of people to hinder or prevent the execution of the Constitution. What's wrong with that definition? Way too broad. I think the petitioners actually admitted that a group of people threatening a mailman and preventing him or her from uh, from executing their constitutional duties, because that's one of the constitutional powers that Congress has, would constitute an insurrection. What if we narrowed it to, say, prevent the peaceful transfer of power of the United States government? Would that be an insurrection? To prevent the peaceful transfer? I don't think so, and I'm not sure, Your Honor. Look, I mean, if you look at historically in the context of how insurrection was used, I mean, it has to be for a substantial duration, not three hours. Um, there has to be some geographical scope. There has to be a goal of nullifying all, all, all governmental authority in an area. I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure where you're, you said it has to be, where the temporal provision, where is all that coming from? I mean, Webster's Third New International Dictionary defines it as an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or against an established I, government. So you've added a whole lot of conditions there. I'm not sure where I they have. came from. I would, I would urge you, I, I think probably the best exposition of that was the state attorney general's briefs and the, and the authority that they provided. Okay, but I think also if you look at sort of the historical record. Now, now you're going to tell me, uh, Mr. Gasser, you're making it up. And I'm going to say, well, so did the judge. And I'll say, we're all sort of making it up at the end of the day. Well, I, and, uh, yes, sir. I just want to jump in on this point of how I don't know that we have to come up with a test that's going to necessarily address all circumstances. I guess the question, at least as to insurrection, you know, setting apart whether President Trump engaged in insurrection. But as to insurrection, why isn't it enough that a violent mob breached the Capitol when it was when Congress was performing a core constitutional function? I, in some ways, that seems like a poster child for insurrection. Why is that not true? Well, I, I, I think what you're sort of saying is the famous quote. I don't know, I don't know a definition of it, but I know it when I see it. Um, 
you know, that we don't have a workable standard, but we think in this instance there probably it doesn't feel good and it just seems Well, it's, seems more, than it, it's more than it doesn't feel good. I, I, for purposes of this case, what we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January 6th, one of the things we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January 6th constituted an insurrection. We don't need to come up with a definition for all times and all circumstances. Now, the judges would actually later ask him, well, then what is an insurrection? You've said what it isn't. What is an insurrection? And he says, well, we don't really know. No one can define it. I know it when I see it, like you heard in that last thing. But then he, he started putting terms on here. He said, well, it has to be longer than three hours. An insurrection has got to be longer than three hours. It would have to be armed. Uh, it would have to be, you know, not with just like flagpoles it would have to there would have to be arms it would have to be bigger than just one building there has to be some sort of geological definition uh, it would have to attempt to nullify the entire government right uh, then when a judge pointed out that there were some firearms at the capitol and there were a ton of makeshift weapons that day trump's lawyer said that's a riot though riots have makeshift weapons insurrections have guns and when the judge asked where are you getting these definitions from? Trump's lawyer said, well, next you're probably going to say I'm just making this all up. Well, the judge in the other case just made it all up. We're all just making it all up. <laughs> like what? What kind of weird stonery shit is that? Like what is money anyway? Right? <laughs> Have you ever seen an insurrection on weed? Like what are you even talking about? Next up, Trump's lawyers tried to define the constitutional restrictions on who can run as president as something that can be overridden by the voters. And this is how that argument went. Let's listen. If the entire nation chooses someone to be president, can that be an insurrection or is that democratic choice? Can, you know, remember, the president is a little bit different. Everyone in the country has an opportunity or should have an I opportunity don't, to vote for that person. Go ahead. I don't think anyone here is, is suggesting, and I don't take the petitioners to have been arguing, that the election of a person as president is an insurrection. I, I, th I think that what the insurrection might have been is a different question. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure where you're going with that argument. I'm, I'm going with the broader context of the president is different. And if everyone in the country chooses a particular person as a president. So if everyone chose an insurrectionist, Jefferson Davis, let's use that example. If Jefferson Davis want, ran a while ago and the, and the electors who, who were not themselves insurrectionists, chose to put him into the presidency, that would be fine under Section 3, and that would be consistent with the purposes of Section 3. That would be the rule of democracy in work. But yes. the rule of and democracy, there, there are limits. I mean, the president can't be under 35 or can't be, uh, you know, someone who wasn't born in this country. That, so you could, I mean, the argument, that if you take your argument to the limit, it would say they can, we can elect Governor Schwarzenegger or, you know, my 27-year-old kid. I, I, I don't think it goes that far. It's, the, it's that rule embodied in the text of Section 3. Now, there are plenty of anti-majoritarian measures in the, in the structural constitution. 
And there are these qualifications. No one argues that. But when we're interpreting Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and we look at the history behind that and the context and the language they used, they used off, look, the, for, to satisfy the conditions of Section 3, you have to be an office under the United States, you have to hold the office under the United States, and you have to be an officer under the United States, and you have to take an oath. You have to have all four of those items in place. Any one of them, Section 3 does not apply. Sticking, stepping away from Article 3, though, for a second, and sticking with the Constitution, could the Democratic Party put President Obama up for on the primary ballot? Could that happen? I haven't done a full analysis of that particular provision, Your Honor. I'm really sort of focused more on Section 3, but could they do it? Conceivably, I think it's an open question. If you look at the political question analysis of the Article Two courts, the weight of authority was that states could not could not prevent that. If so, I understand your democratic process argument, that would seem to be the logical conclusion. I'm just trying to make sure I understand the breadth. The breadth is confined to Section Three, Your Honor. But but stepping away because you were focused also on the Constitution. Um. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on the structural constitution to look at the language. The officer of the United States is used four times in the structural constitution. And each time it does not apply to the U.S. president. Can, can, oh, go ahead. I mean, not once does it apply. No, I know. You, you, did, you didn't answer my question, but that's okay. I'm not gonna, you, I want to let you use your time the way you want to use your time. So I, I feel like we're Please going... feel free to take another run at me, Your Honor. I, I do want to be responsive. Yes, sir. I, I feel like we're going in circles to some extent right now. Now, Trump's lawyer would go on to say that because the president is not an officer, he can technically violate the emoluments clause. He can run for a third term. And he can have engaged in an insurrection and still run for president. So Jefferson Davis would be able to be president. It's just madness. What a weird argument. Now, if I had to put beans on this, based on the arguments and the questions I heard today, I think they'll say he can't be on the ballot. And if they do put him on the ballot, I think it might be for jurisdictional reasons based on local statutes, or they'll go with a lower court's ruling that the president isn't an officer of the United States. But honestly, with the way they were almost laughing at the notion that Section 3 is meant to keep anyone else but the president off the ballot, I don't think he'll be kept off the ballot here. But we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, I do not think they will overturn the lower court's finding on Trump engaging in an insurrection. I think they'll uphold the lower court's definition that January 6th was an insurrection. Now, there did seem to be some contention about Section 131 jurisdiction, but Trump's lawyers argued that the court doesn't have jurisdiction to review, nor does the Secretary of State. And this court seemed to scoff at that idea by then asking, well, then who reviews it? Somebody's gotta. And, and the court also didn't seem to agree with the notion that Section 5 of the 14th Amendment leaves it up to Congress to enforce. So... With the arguments I heard today, I just don't understand. Maybe I'm biased because this seems so obvious to me. But it was not a good day for Trump. And I look forward to uh, the ruling. All right. We got to take a quick break here. But I have so much more news. We'll be right back with the rest of it. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody, it's so hard to find the perfect gift, and it can take a lot of time and energy, but that's why I love Aura Frames. It's an easy and thoughtful gift. It comes in a beautiful box. There's no price tag on it. It'll be appreciated by your loved ones no matter where they are. They will love it. Aura is a Wi-Fi connected, high-resolution digital picture frame. It beautifully showcases any number of videos and photos, all looking just as good as real prints, with unlimited storage, unlimited storage. You can preload as many as you like before it's shipped out, and your loved ones can add their own just as easily using the Aura app. Aura Frames is easy to set up. You just plug it in and share away. This will be perfect for my own family members. I struggle to shop for my family back in Cleveland. I talk to you about them all the time. We, you know, we don't get to see each other very often, and that's why these frames are so great. I got I got my family the Aura Frames for, for the holidays last year, and we share photos of us going to games together, of the last time we spent together, and then our individual holidays and family gatherings so we can, you know, feel closer. So I, this is just such a great gift. And I'm happy I won't have to spend hours in crowded stores searching for it either. <laughs> I can use the same time choosing what they'll get to see when they first open their gift, which is nice. Aura Frames has been named the best digital frame by Wirecutter and The Strategist, and they were selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I'm excited for you to see how good they are, how beautiful they are. I know your loved ones will appreciate it just as much as I do. Give the perfect holiday gift this year. To get $30 off the perfect holiday gift today, visit AuraFrames.com slash DailyBeans and use promo code DailyBeans. These frames sell out quickly though, so get yours before they're gone. That's $30 off their best-selling frames by going to AuraFrames, A-U-R-A-F-R-A-M-E-S.com slash DailyBeans and using promo code DailyBeans. Terms and conditions apply. All right, next up from CNN, a Nevada grand jury has indicted six individuals who acted as fraudulent electors in a scheme intended to overturn Biden's 2020 victory, and that's according to the state's attorney general, as a Republican guy. The indictments make Nevada the third state, joining Michigan and Georgia, to bring charges against those who served as fake pro-Trump electors in the 2020 election. I thought for sure Arizona was going to go before Nevada because of Nevada's uh, attorney general. Uh, but Nevada went. Attorney General Aaron Ford's office released a short statement saying we can all allow attacks on democracy to go unchallenged. Today's indictments are the product of a long and thorough investigation. And as we pursue this prosecution, I'm confident that our judicial system will see justice done. As part of the effort to help then-President Trump be reelected, six Republicans in Nevada signed fake electoral college votes in December 2020 for Donald Trump, who lost the state to Joe Biden. That's according to special counsel Jack Smith's federal indictment, the House Select Committee that investigated January 6th, and the Nevada Attorney General's office. <laughs> Nevada is among at least five states that have launched criminal probes into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Two of those states, Michigan and Georgia, have already brought criminal charges against the fraudulent electors, uh, and more charges could be brought soon. Nevada's case ramped up after prosecutors secured the cooperation of key witness Kenneth Chesbro, a lawyer who helped orchestrate the fraudulent elector plot across multiple states. In late 2020, Chesbro wrote a series of memos spelling out what the pro-Trump electors should do in their respective states. In one memo, Chesbro acknowledged that he was promoting a controversial strategy, quote unquote, that even the Supreme Court with its conservative supermajority would likely reject. <laughs> mm. And speaking of fraudulent electors, Prosecutors in the Georgia election subversion case against the former guy have officially listed former VP Mike Pence as one of their witnesses who could be called to testify at trial. These, these witness lists are potential witness lists. 
That's according to multiple sources familiar with court documents that still remain under seal. Pence, who has appeared before a federal grand jury as part of Jack Smith's probe, has not been considered a major part of the criminal proceedings in Georgia. Witness lists submitted by Fulton County prosecutors have not been made public and remain tightly held. Sources told CNN the most recent version of the witness list, which was produced by prosecutors just days ago, include upward of 150 names. Among them is Pence. Pence could become a key witness as one of the few one-time Republican allies of the former president to strongly rebuke Trump's claims of widespread voter fraud in the Peach State. Unlike the federal probe, Pence has not testified under oath as part of the Georgia case, which may be why he was surprised to learn he was a witness. Now, So a spokesperson for Pence declined to comment, by the way. But Pence's name appearing on the witness list, which has not been previously reported, is the first concrete sign that the Fulton County DA is preparing to put him on the stand. Pence has already signaled a willingness to testify as a witness in a federal trial. In an interview with CNN this summer, Pence said he would comply with the law if he were compelled to testify in the federal case. I have no plans to testify, but look, we'll always comply with the law, he said. There are profound First Amendment issues, he noted, uh, that will be litigated in this case. Now, sources today say Pence was surprised, like I said, that his name came up. Pence, your prob's going to be called to testify in several cases. So there, I've told you, so you won't be surprised. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution got even more information. They say that the list has almost 200 people, and among the names include the VP, like we just talked about, Bill Barr, Jeffrey Rosen, who was the acting attorney general, Richard Donahue, the acting deputy attorney general, U.S. Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, and Steve Bannon. The DA could also call several of Georgia's top Republican leaders, Brian Kemp, Attorney General Chris Carr, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, Cassidy Hutchinson. There are a ton more on this list. Pete and I are going to go over them on next week's cleanup on aisle 45. And speaking of cleanup on aisle 45, there were tech gremlins getting yesterday's episode out. Of course, my favorite episode of that podcast that I've ever recorded in the history of that podcast, that's the day we get tech gremlins. So it came out late, but it is out now. Please give it a listen. It is my favorite episode so far. Uh, I think that you will enjoy it too. All right, next up from the post. Kevin McCarthy, who was ousted as the House Speaker in October after a revolt by hard-right members, will not seek re-election to his congressional seat, and he's leaving by the end of the month. He's resigning. That's what he announced on Wednesday. With Santos gone, Bill Johnson set to leave in early 2024, and now McCarthy leaving by the end of the year, the GOP will have a one-vote margin. And guess the fuck what? The Republican-led House Ethics Committee has reached out to at least one witness as part of its investigation into Matt Gates, And they reached out to schedule an interview in the coming weeks. <laughs> one formal request went out last week, the day before the House voted to expel Santos over ethics violations. In the emailed request, a copy of which was obtained by CNN, investigators write that the chairman and ranking member have authorized staff to conduct an interview with this witness. And this is, by the way, from Paula Reed at CNN. The formal interview request, which has not been previously reported, is the first sign of activity in the Ethics Committee's Gates probe since investigators made contact with witnesses in July. It also suggests that on the heels of Santos's expulsion, the panel is turning its attention to Gates, who argued on the House floor that expelling Santos 
without a conviction would be an incredible violation of precedent that would do grave damage to Congress. The Justice Department in February informed Gates's lawyers it would not be bringing criminal charges against the Florida Republican after a years-long federal sex trafficking investigation. Gates has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing, including ever having sex with a minor or paying for sex. By the way, that's called rape when you have sex with a minor. The Ethics Committee, which at the time was controlled by Democrats, originally opened its Gates investigation in 2021, publicly announcing that it was examining a range of allegations, including that Gates violated sex trafficking laws, shared inappropriate images or videos on the House floor, used illicit drugs, converted campaign funds to personal use, and accepted a bribe, among other claims. CNN reported in July that the focus of the committee's recent questions in the probe concerned possible lobbying violations. That's according to a source who was contacted at the time. Now, if you remember, one of the dudes who paid for him to go to the Bahamas with the the sex trafficked minors was a guy who wanted him to vote a certain way on marijuana legislation. Now, as you know, in 2016, the Supreme Court kind of gutted the bribery, the anti-corruption laws, which might be why Gates wasn't federally indicted. I mean, you practically have to have gold bars with serial numbers on them in your house to get indicted for bribery (laughs) after what the SCOTUS did. By the way, they did that in overturning the McDonnell, Governor McDonnell's conviction for bribery, a case that was brought by Jack Smith. Now, committee investigators have yet to reach out to several key witnesses, including Joel Greenberg and the woman who was just 17 when she was allegedly raped by Gates, or an ex-girlfriend who testified before the grand jury and was considered a key witness for the government. That's according to two sources familiar with the probe. So get a move on, ethics committee. I got to tell you, though, with a one-vote margin, there's no way the Republicans are going to vote to expel anybody else. I just can't see it happening, especially since Gates wasn't indicted, right? That might be their off-ramp there to not vote to expel Gates. Well, he wasn't indicted criminally. Santos was. But uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I I doubt it. I doubt they would hand the majority over to Democrats or do a power-sharing agreement, like, or at least, you know, to where they would have be a vote down. But he was not he was not indicted. And again, I am so curious as to why not. I mean, I think it may have something to do with the bribery uh law being gutted, the the cor- anti-corruption laws, federal anti-corruption laws, but I mean, come on. The lobbying, the the sex trafficking, the the raping the, the minor. I just I don't know how that fell apart. I don't understand. And because it's not a special counsel investigation, we're not going to get a report as to why it fell apart. We only know they didn't bring charges. All right, next up from Department of Justice, war crimes. For the first time in history, the Department of Justice is indicting on war crimes. War crimes charges against four Russia-affiliated military personnel that were unsealed today in the Eastern District of Virginia. The charges include torture, inhumane treatment, and unlawful confinement of a U.S. national in Ukraine, following Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February of 2022. And they named them all. There's four of them. Two of them, last names unknown. Lanu, L-N-U, last name unknown. 
They were charged in connection with their unlawful detainment of a U.S. national in the context of the armed conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The defendants are alleged to have interrogated, severely beaten, and tortured the victim. They also allegedly threatened to kill the victim and conducted a mock execution. Quote, as the world has witnessed the horrors of Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine, so is the United States Department of Justice. That's Attorney General Merrick Garland. That is why the Justice Department has filed the first ever charges under the U.S. war crime statute against four Russia-affiliated military personnel for heinous crimes against an American citizen. The Justice Department will work for as long as it takes to pursue accountability and justice for Russia's war of aggression. Thanks to the tireless and unprecedented work of federal law enforcement and the agents of Homeland Security Investigations and the Justice Department, four Russian soldiers accused of unthinkable, unacceptable human rights violations against an American citizen have been charged with war crimes and will be brought to justice. That's Secretary of Homeland Security. The indictments unsealed today send a clear message to Russia. Our government will spare no effort and spare no resource to hold accountable those who violate the fundamental human rights of an American. Quote, since the start of their unprovoked invasion, Russia has weaponized human rights abuses to wreak unimaginable tragedy. That's FBI Director Chris Wray. Today's indictment, the first ever under the U.S. war crime statute, makes clear the FBI will work with the full cooperation of international law enforcement to bring justice to the victims of these atrocities. The human toll on the conflict of Ukraine weighs heavily on the hearts of the FBI, and we're resolved to hold war criminals accountable no matter where they are or how long it takes. Torturing and unlawfully confining a protected person are serious human rights abuses that must not go unpunished. That's Acting Assistant Attorney General Nicole Argentieri of the Justice Department's Criminal Division. These historic criminal charges, first ever brought under the U.S. war crime statute, are an important step in the Justice Department's continuing efforts to pursue every avenue of accountability for those who commit war crimes and other atrocities in Ukraine. And by the way, Senate Republicans blocked aid to Ukraine and Israel today. Now, Pete and I are going to go over this indictment in a lot more detail on the next episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45. And for those asking where are the war crimes charges in the Israel-Hamas conflict, please keep in mind the crimes in this indictment of the four Russians happened over a year and a half ago. And the Israel-Hamas war started two months ago today. So these war crimes investigations take time. I think that we will see more indictments under the new war crimes law from this Department of Justice for atrocities in the Israel-Hamas war. And a person opened fire Wednesday on the University of Nevada, Las Vegas campus. And at least three victims were taken to hospitals, according to police who reported the shooter was found dead. Quote, right now we know there are three victims, but unknown extent of the injuries. That's Sheriff Kevin McMahill, I believe is how you say his name. He said that in a post on Twitter. That number could change, he said. McMahill did not say whether any of the victims had been killed. Authorities plan to give further updates at a news conference scheduled for 5 p.m. Pacific time. Alerts went out across the campus after callers reported an active shooter to police at 11.45 a.m. Wednesday, said that's Adam Garcia, university police official, He said officers found and engaged a suspect who is now dead. It was not immediately clear how the suspect died. In response to the campus shootings, the Federal Aviation Administration issued a ground stop of all flights coming to Harry Reid International Airport. The university is only about two miles north of the airport. 
Tony Molinero, an FAA spokesperson, referred a request to a comment to the Las Vegas law enforcement, and classes were canceled at UNLV, as was the basketball game at the University of Dayton, Ohio. That was canceled Wednesday night because of the Las Vegas shootings. The shooting occurred in a city still scarred by one of the worst mass killings in U.S. history, October 1st, 2017. That was a shooting at Mandalay Bay. 60 were killed. Hundreds more were wounded. And the UNLV campus is just over three miles from that location. And Republicans blocked a bill for more background checks today. Our last story from NBC, former President Trump said at a Fox News town hall Tuesday he would not be a dictator except for day one if he is elected president next year. Trump's comments at the taped event in Iowa came in response to host Sean Hannity asking him whether he would abuse the power of the office to seek revenge. You're promising America tonight you would never abuse power as retribution against anybody? And Trump said, except for day one. And then he repeated that phrase. When asked for clarification, he said, I want to close the border and I want to drill, 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 which doesn't really go to the original question about abusing power for retribution against anyone. Now, moments later, Trump doubled down on his comments. I love this guy, Trump said, referring to Hannity. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, no, no. Other than day one, we're closing the border. We're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. What does drilling have to do with being a dick? Oh, and by the way, we have the highest oil production in U.S. history uh, right now. It's it's Biden. It's higher under Biden than it was during Trump's presidency at this time, which I'm not a big fan of. But still, to, uh, the Biden campaign seized on these remarks. I'm glad. They posted a clip of the exchange on Twitter. After the town hall concluded, Biden campaign manager Rodriguez blasted Trump in a statement. Donald Trump has been telling us exactly what he will do if he's reelected, and tonight he said he will be a dictator on day one. Americans should believe him. And it's not drilling and closing the border. It's that, I mean, it's that, but also... He's got Project 2025, 54,000 loyalty-tested recruits ready to be installed as civil servants, gutting the government, gutting the judiciary, using the Department of Justice as his personal legal arm to go after his perceived enemies. He wants to round up members of the press, put them in camps, arrest them, and put them in camps. That I I don't know, but I I did have a really n- wonderful moment of Zen today when I saw a new uh, Bucks County uh, woman be sworn in on a stack of um, banned books. I love that. Instead of a Bible, she swore in on a stack of frequently banned books. I love Bucks County, PA. Seriously, what a cool place! What a cool place! What a great model for the nation. Bucks County, PA, and Michigan. (laughs) Anyway, we have a lot of good news to get to. If you have some good news you want to send to us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact, and we'll be right back with the good news. Stick around. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. (laughs) 
near. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, what the whatever, what the mutt, opine on the bovine, what the hequine, cat me if you can, what the shell, which is where I guess what kind of turtle you have. <laughs> I can't believe we do these. Anything you want to send in like that, shout out to a loved one, um, uh, your spouse, uh, somebody who's helped you out, uh, your holiday pictures, your happy places, um, Halloween pictures I love year round. Um, something, uh, you know, local business in your area, shout out to your business. I know that we have so many amazing, uh, creators and makers and entrepreneurs in the Leguminati. I want to hear about what you're making and creating, what your small business is. Um, let's see what else, if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can send us an adoptable pet in your area, send along the baby pictures. I'll, I'll stack them up. Uh, the, our, our producers will stack them up for uh, for Dana for when she gets back. And again, thank you so much for letting me bring you the news while Dana is on vacation. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the positive feedback. Uh, but anything you want to send to us, dailybeanspod.com, click on contact. First up from Cindy, pronoun she and her. I've been waiting for this good news for over 18 months. Whew, our adult son was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, a childhood cancer, last May. After he and his girlfriend relocated to Seattle so he could get treatment at Seattle Children's Hospital, he endured 18 months of brutal treatment. Tomorrow, he gets to move back home to start rebuilding his life. Absolutely the best Christmas present anyone could ever give his dad and me. Cindy, happy holidays. That's wonderful. I'm so glad he's coming home. Ooh, that one got me. Stacy Lynn, pronoun she and her. Greetings, beautiful Laguma ladies. I'm celebrating the economy. I have proof that it's much better because I've been working. I'm a professional balloon artist. I make balloon animals for a living and I love my job. You know, Steve Martin did that too, Stacy Lynn. People tell me I'm wonderful and give me cake. I've been doing this for 24 years and I never dread going to work. However, I'm very aware that hiring me is a luxury. When money is tight, I'm expendable. But this year's been great after some tight years. I'm ending the year booked solid, which would not happen if people were worried about money. I'm including some balloon pictures. The little girl is my youngest, and she made the balloons she's holding. Uh, we started doing balloons when she was young as an infant, so she's been making balloons since she was two. She's 24 now. Uh, the other is my favorite sculpture. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Stacey Lynn. And I do want to acknowledge, I know that there are people struggling out there. I think what Stacey Lynn was trying to say is that she's booked solid, so people are doing better in general. But I didn't want to discount anybody's individual struggles. Look at the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. That is amazing. That is so good. Ray, if someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. What did you do, Ray? I tried to think of the most harmless thing. <laughs> Stay puffed marshmallow man. Thank you so much for that. What a great submission. Next up from Lori. Hello and good morning, Queens of the Beans. Longtime listener, new patron. My husband and I begin each day with coffee and the beans. Of course, we love all your shows, but today's show gave me an extra shot of good vibes. Listening to you talk about Simon Rosenberg's take on our economy is the best thing I've heard in well forever. Right, Lori? You guys have to check out the Hopium Chronicles. It's so great. Thank you for introducing us to this brilliant man. Speaking of intros, several months ago on The Good News, someone mentioned portraitist Missy missysportraits.com. That's M-I-S-S-Y-S, missysportraits.com. 
being such a sap for our fur babies, I looked her up and fell in love with her work. After connecting with Melissa, she told me to just send a photo and she'll work her magic. Yesterday, we received the magical canvas of Mitzi, and it's amazing. The subject of the portrait, Mitzvah, Mitzvah Kitty, found my husband three years ago after she'd been abandoned behind the warehouse where he worked. She walked in, immediately found Alan, and has not left his side since. They find us, don't they? They just find us. The weird thing is, Alan is, and always has been, highly allergic to cats. And that's another thing cats do. They gravitate toward the people who are allergic to them. I've since taken in a new kitty who proves the point daily, but with Mitzi, he's completely allergy-free. She's the only hypoallergenic cat ever and seems to know that Alan would love her forever. Since then, we've taken in two more abandoned babies. One is a gorgeous white husky named Luna. The other is Kiki the kitten. And all through these new members of our pack, there's been Tripper, the everything but the kitchen sink puppy. Actually, he's about 13 now. We adopted him 12 years ago, and he was about a year old then. Happy home. I've attached a picture of our new piece of art. I need to thank you for all you do. You're helping keep democracy alive. Never forget, blue rules, red drools. <laughs> Vote blue. And here is the painting from Missy's portraits, and it is a stunner. What a beautiful calico and what a beautiful rendering of this sweet kitty. And then look at this pack of dogs that are adorable. And I, I'm assuming since the food bowls are empty and they're standing so attentively looking at you with such love that you are about to feed them. <laughs> the little poodle in the back is killing me. So adorable. Thank you for that. Thank you for that submission. And, and thanks for, for sharing missysportraits.com with us in this painting of your beautiful baby. All right. Next up, John pronouns he and him. As the investigations ramp up in Nevada, can we get a preemptive correction on the pronunciation of the state's name? Allison, you are correct, my friend. Yes, it's true that Reno 911 says Nevada, but this is your friendly reminder that although it feels like a documentary, it is in fact a scripted comedy show. Pete also pronounces it this way. Yeah. I, th I say Nevada, right? And that, it's not Nevada, Nevada. In all seriousness, thank you for highlighting Media Matters post on the strength of our economy. Ah, yes, Simon Rosenberg. In the age of both sidesism and sensationalism in our current media landscape, it is an awesome reminder of everything that our train riding POTUS has been able to accomplish. This needs to be spread far and wide. And I'm adding a favorites tab on that story. Keep giving them the beans. John, thank you. I love that keep giving them the beans. Full of beans. Anonymous, light bright, pronoun she and her. So meet up April, DC, fantastic. I will finally tell you in person about my microdosing on mushrooms and pegging a registered Republican with a rather small black dildo. <laughs> he was a beginner then. Oh, yes, Pagamaga, I remember. But now, months later, I can tell you that we have been really good for each other. Really fucking therapeutic, you know, literally. Seriously, literally. I call him officer and a gentleman for a reason. He seldom curses, and I have a mouth of a pirate with a PhD. Getting him to scream fuck at the top of his lungs. Hashtag goals. I have the same goal with, with Pete Strzok on cleanup on all 45, but for very different reasons. Some challenges are worth repeating. I think one of his degrees is from Liberty University. Not uh, any of the ones that really count because he is really a nerd. Uh, here's to April, Doggo Willen, and the Creeps Don't Rise. Here are some pics. A kitty cable wrangler I made, a summer bug, and a recent sky. The kitty cable wrangler is adorable. 
the summer bug is a Japanese beetle. And uh, what? Okay, I just named a beetle. Bring it. What do we call that game? (laughs) Let's come up with a name for Guess the Beetle. That sky is gorgeous. That is a beautiful picture. Thank you for sending that in, Anonymous. And I really hope we can accommodate all the patrons who want to come to DC on April 20th. There is, like I said, a fire marshal max cap that we can't do anything about. And we will have to cut off RSVPs when we reach that cap. But it's, you know, I, that's why I wanted to move it from the Hay Adams to this new location uh, so that we would have more room to have more patrons. And this time there's no ticket price. It's on me. It's on me and Pete and Andy. We're, we're doing this for you. MSW media is picking up the bill because we love you. Now we really couldn't do this without you. Your support of independent media fulfills your obligation of Dr. Timothy Snyder's chapter two of on tyranny of supporting institutions. You are supporting the free press and therefore you are supporting democracy. So thank you so much for being patrons. If you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash Miller, she wrote. If you want to do it for cleanup on aisle 45, it's patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod, A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. And Jack, that's you, you go to the patreon.com slash Miller, she wrote the $5 level. You get beans and Jack, Jack and the beans talk, Jack and the beans talk. You get them both. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's the end of the day, and it's getting close to the end of the week. We had so much news today. Thank you for sticking around. Send your good news in to me at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And thank you again for all the positive feedback for me holding down the fort. I know you miss Dana. I miss her too. Um, and uh, But I'm glad you're enjoying the solo news and some of these uh, court filings I'm reading. I'm going to see if I can get some guests on here too while in, in her absence. So I appreciate you. I will be back in your ears tomorrow for the final day this week. Oh, the beans. And until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Uh, Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, 
a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler. How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.